The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Again, we got into the issue of uh, falling asleep behind the wheel, which from there we went to the question of the big, the, there's a current debate within the medical community, and specifically in medical schools, about the training of physicians, where there is an issue of um, if the physicians, if the physicians stay up for 48 or 48 hours straight, they have 36 shifts. 36 hours. 36. Only 36. Depends which hospital. Um, so the question is, and then a falls asleep on the job or something happens, he does surgery. Is he liable? Is the physician liable? It's really the key question here. Is falling asleep considered a, a negligence on the part of the faller sleeper? Okay, that's really the question here. So no, Any, anybody? A driver or a physician or whatever the case may be. Um, he falls asleep while he's you mean falling asleep okay. literally, or you mean just being tired? Well, either way, but well, well, what's well, relevant behind the wheel is is both. It's it's being tired, which reduces your cognitive ability. I think everyone agrees to a certain extent. Your cognitive ability is reduced when when you're tired. I, I actually read last night. I was just googled this topic. So there was a lot of studies done less on residents, but on even staying up to, you know, people cram all night for tests. They say it reduces your ability, you actually do worse. People who stay up the night before the test studying do worse on the test. Yeah. So, uh... Well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Like we talked about the other day, that's just because you're tired may not mean you can function well globally. You may be able to function well in a specific area. And not be able to function well. No, you may be able to function well in a specific area, but you may not be able to function well globally. You may but not be able to analyze things. Well, it depends. I mean, you we used to be on call, uh, maybe tired. Tired? I was asleep. I woke up when something happened that I didn't expect. But if you're asleep when you're driving, or if you're a sentry and you're asleep, you're obviously not doing your job. But if you're tired, that's a different story. Right, no, but it's, it's not different in the sense of if it reduces your cognitive ability and then you do something wrong, Based on that, is that a liability? Does that mean, is that... Uh, well, the question is, one question, does it reduce your cognitive, in terms of being a doctor, does being tired reduce your cognitive ability? Because if so, virtually every doctor is, uh, would be liable because they're almost all tired. Yeah, but all people are tired. There's a difference between tired of, you know, not having slept 10 hours last night and tired of being up straight for 36 yeah. hours. Well, then I'm, I'm not sure there is. That's why I'm the doctor's an employee. Right, okay, so that's the question here. So, this yeah. is an So, I, I believe it or not, I found a response just on this topic. I'm questioning that that's actually true. <laughs> this is a, um, from this, this rabbi's name is Rabitzchuk Zilberstein. This is one of his many books. He, he teaches medical ethics in Israel. He is the son in law of Rebel Yashiv. Very big Talmud Chacham, and he has, this is an actual case that came to him. It's actually, I found it in two of his books. This one, in one book, it was a question-answer form, uh, meaning the actual question that was asked, it was asked by an immigrant student, a resident. Um, in this case, it, it's the same question, you just put it into a book form. I mean, it's also a question that occurred, but wasn't written as the question posed by the medical student. So let's, let's read it. So the, the question here is, um, as part of his training, a medical student was appointed to assist the doctor in a hospital during the night shift. 
doctor was sorely overworked. Okay, so we're talking about a student. Um, doesn't say if he's a resident, but I don't know how it works in Israel. Well, it's a student. I mean, a resident is different than a student, so we'll, take, we'll assume it's a medical student. Okay. Um, he had been on duty for two days straight, with only short naps here and there to renew his strength. While the doctor rested, the student was sent to check on his patients. The student noticed that the health of one patient had deteriorated. He hurried to wake up the doctor and asked what to do. The doctor was so tired that even when he woke up, the student suspected that his answers were not completely lucid. The student described the patient, this is by the way translated from Hebrew, the student described the patient and his situation and the doctor gave him instructions. Are you sure you know which patient I mean, asked the student, and, it, and again described the issue. Yes, I understand you, said the doctor. I know which patient you mean and the orders I gave you are correct. Go do what I said. The student administered the treatment the doctor had ordered, but was shocked to see that the patient's situation quickly worsened. He ran to wake up the doctor, but the patient died before he can get there. The doctor took one look at the patient and moaned in grief. Is this the patient he meant, he asked? I was sure you were talking about someone else. The student staggered under the re realization that he had taken the patient's life with his own hands, all because of a misunderstanding. He then approached Rob Zilberstein to ask as if he was indeed guilty of accidental murder, and if so, what he could do to atone for his sin. So, so before you read the answer, so what would you say in this case? Who's liable? Is it the uh, student, well, the doctor, the hospital? Is there I any liable? The is anyone liable? Yeah. Well, I think the doctor is liable. Well, but not, but not personally, because he's an employee. Otherwise, he wouldn't be working. Oh, we don't know if he's an employee right. or not. But doesn't say that. But the doctor, who? First of all, the story troubled me right away, in the sense that the doctor who was sleepy was clearly impair impaired. Yeah. Because if he tells, if he tells. He doesn't go see that patient himself and trust a medical student assessment. Right. His judgment is already impaired. Yeah. I mean, that's just. I mean, um, there's a doctor who just died. He was, he was a student of mine. As as a chief resident, I must have told you the story. The students we'd send him out to go examine a patient and come back and tell us what they found. So he goes and examines the guy, and he comes back. He says he has chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, emphysema and then describes physical examination. And he says the patient was cachectic, which means he's wasted away, kind of gray-bluish color. My, yeah. <laughs> gray -blue. And he says, his respiratory rate is eight. Yeah, at that point, I stopped him, and we ran down the hall. You know, a person with emphysema does not breathe eight beats per minute. They're short of breath always. They're breathing yeah. eight means gray-blue, eight respirations. Yeah. It means only one thing. He's dying. Right. Now. <laughs> so you run down the hall and the guy's breathing his last. Yeah. <laughs> so to believe a medical student, you're right away impaired. Or lazy. Or yeah. both. Yeah. Or sleeping. Or, or drunk. Well, I had one or drunk. Nurse, chief neurosurgical resident who I needed. I, I just couldn't do it. A spinal tap on this woman to drain they, that they, those days they drained the fluid to drain the blood out. She had a bleed, and she had about forty-eight thousand spinal <coughs> tap. I just couldn't get the damn needle in, and I woke him up. You know to help me. He, he was came down. No, he was the chief Who resident. You? The neurosurgery. I was a uh, an intern, and he came down. He was sort of staring. He said, "Wait, I'll be right back." He went back <laughs> upstairs. Obviously, took a drink, came down reeking of alcohol. I mean, it was, we knew he was drunk. Reeking down about what, popped it right in. Exactly. Yeah, but he was fired a couple of months later. 
So right away, so that doctor is liable. The one who yeah. did not gave an order to a patient he had not seen, he's liable. Yeah. I mean, medical students kind of the passive victim of this, just like the, that's right. The patient's more of a victim. But, right, but the question is, again, is if is the you're saying is a different issue. Liability is the fact that he relied on the student. That's right. But what that's about right. the fact that he didn't that he was sleepy? Things that. Is that, that that's because his employer set the rules he has to work so long on his shift. Oh, you're reading too much theory, into it. We don't, the we don't know that. Was that you got to live with your patients to learn about their diseases. Well, you that's why they had you working every other and night. And you don't know that the patient, that this doctor behaved that way because he was tired. This just may be the way he does business. Yeah. He delegates yeah, and has poor judgment all the time. We don't know. All we... But you're assuming that he made this decision because he was well, tired. Well, it I'm not says very it. clearly that he that he was that he wasn't he wasn't sure he was lucid. That's right, but you're making question. you're making a cause and effect that he was tired. Well, the therefore, he behaved this way. Student is saying right. The student suspected his answers were not completely lucid. Yeah, right, it says it. So the student I mean, is again a student. Yeah, that's but again, if you believe the student, <laughs> if you believe the student, that's why they're not even an intern. They're they they haven't. They've had a little bit of book learning. Yeah, student can't be negligent. He doesn't know anything. No, the question is not on the student. The question is on the doc. I was meaning, I'm saying you're reading too much into it. saying he might have made this decision not because he was tired. The student clearly understood that the reason why he made this decision because he wasn't lucid. But he, but he asked us, he asked... And the, that's why he's even asking the question because he he's saying, listen, I saw the guy wasn't lucid. I listened to him anyway like an idiot. But then he decided he was lucid. He said, he said, yes, I, uh, are you sure you know which patient? I mean, and the guy yeah, just the says, guy clearly, so I do. So, you know. Well, he can so do. There was a little bit, the student had to have learned a very important lesson. If somebody doesn't appear to know what they're talking about, whether they're a doctor or president, then you don't follow those orders. Okay. Mike, so that's true. So let's see what the rabbi says. He says like this, Rosilberstein answered, solution. Rosilberstein answered that the greatest portion of guilt rests on those responsible for imposing impossible work hours on the staff. That's like you said. Right, so he's, he's saying the guilt lies in the hospital. Yeah, only so, like yeah, you said. right. Um, even school teachers, so this is an interesting halach and in Um and the Rambam, which I didn't get a chance to bring because shul this morning, all the Books are packed away because of the flood. Um, so, but uh, the, the Rambam rules and the Shochanach rules that uh, interesting case, and I think we might have discussed it here in the past. That you even moonlighting. Now, we have always a question: What restrictions? This is an interesting legal question. Can your employer impose on you as an employee? Um, but the the Talmud says very clearly that you, as an employee, cannot even moonlight another job if that job, even though it's not the same hours, will affect your ability to perform during your original job. So if you take a contract with place A, and you're going to be moonlighting at night in another place, whether it's your physician or a rabbi, whatever it is, a chazan, um, and that will affect your ability to do your first job at 100%, then that's prohibitive for you to do the second job. So even though it's off hours, it's nothing to do with the first employer. Um, that's what it says. That's and that's been a major issue in medicine. Doctors moonlighting during their residency training, in particular. Right. There was many responses written about this. I saw one actually about a chazan who uh, took a job, Rosh Hashanah, in one shul for Musaf to be the chazan, <laughs> and then he took a job in a different shul for Shachs. So the second shul sued him. The first shul sued him and said, "Listen, 
if you're going to have a shach somewhere else, by the time you get to us, most of your voice will be tired. Yeah. And he wa- and they, they were right. Uh, the rabbi ruled in that case that he can't take a job for shach. You can't, you know, if you're taking a job from us, we're expecting you to give it 100%. If you're going to have your shach uh, chazan job, you're not going to be able to pray Muslim properly. So, so that's Allah Aruch he quotes here. He says that even school teachers are expected to sleep well at night. Part of it is forgetting the other job. It's you. The assumption is when you come to work in the morning, your employer can expect that you sl- had a good night's sleep. You're not going to be dozing mm-hmm. off in your job. So that's Allah Aruch. It says a teacher must not stay up too late at night, lest he be too tired to function the next day. Should not fast unnecessarily. People in those days would take on fast for religious reasons, um, since all these things impair his ability to teach. Clearly, if the guy's going to be on some diet, which is, by the way, relevant also, you know, people go on these wacko diets, you know, only protein for, you know, for six months. So they, their, their ability, they're falling asleep because they're eating all this protein, no starch, no sugars. So that could be a problem also. It affects your cognitive ability, affects your, your ability to work. So you can't do that as an employee. If you're hired, your di- even your diet is limited. Excuse me. What you can eat is limited because if that's going to affect your ability, just like you said, drinking alcohol, obviously someone doing drugs, it's off work time. What's the difference? What's relevant to the employer? No, clearly it's very relevant to the employer. Yeah. If someone's taking drugs, it's going to affect their abilities. Okay, so that's what he says here. Since all these things impair his ability to teach, if the teacher does not follow these instructions, he should be fired. So it's a very clear, open halacha in the Shulchan Aruch um, that even the amount of sleep you obligated to have a good night's sleep if you're gonna if not having the good night's sleep is gonna affect your your ability to do your job. All the more so, he goes on to say, so that was a quote from the Shulchan Aruch, all the more so must a doctor who holds human life in his hands make sure to get enough sleep so he can function well on the job. Stories such as the one described in this case are not uncommon. I don't know if that's true, maybe in Israel. <laughs> is that true? I don't I don't think it's uncommon. Well, I think you know, I think the doctor's the response, the doctor's response to the student. Well, I, you know, truthfully, I can't speak to this day and age. In our day and age, I would say it would be uncommon. It would be uncommon that the doctor would not go look. In this day and age, I wouldn't think it would be uncommon. I mean, it would be more common today. Yes, because they only have shifts of ten, twelve hours. Exactly, and um, but also. It's a completely different orientation in terms of your sense of responsibility for the patient. When you felt completely responsible for the patient, there's no way you'd let a medical student evaluate your patient. You, your patient. Because he's your patient. Your patient. He felt it's your patient. There's no way I'm going to let the student's an idiot. He doesn't know anything. I'm not going to take his word for what he says. For all I know, the student's got the wrong patient. Yeah. <laughs> but nowadays, I don't think that sense of responsibility applies. And this gets the whole area of whether really being tired is worse than having a shift doctor. Right. Well, it's not. Doctors they don't now, own the patient. Doctors now do their, their little part, but they don't do anything else. I had a doctor recently tell me, well, that's not my problem. I don't deal with that. It's in reference to she was a surgeon and there was an anesthesiologist. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the al- anesthesiologist problem. That's not my problem. And I right, so that doesn't own the patient anymore. So I'm having to make phone calls and I'm having to do it because it does make a difference 
and I don't know that I'll get through right, to well, it. Right, well, it used to be the doctor would do this. I'll but get that son of a bitch to step up. But you changed the doctor. What they go on to say here, the, the anesthesiologist using the hospital forced them to do it. I mean, well, I mean, let's read it. Another question brought to us is by an anesthesiologist who administered the wrong dose of sedative to a perfectly healthy woman, accidentally took her life. When asked how he could have made such a mistake, he explained that he'd been working for days straight, the only short rests on a chair in the hospital. He realized how tired he was and refused to continue. The hospital administrators had forced him. So what do you say? In this context, I think what the rabbi is saying is correct. That since you're really in a contractual relationship, yeah. that you know we're hiring you to do what, and you say, well, if you're hiring me to cover to do work for X. Right. then it's unreasonable for you to force me to work more to be tired because I have to be at my best at X. Right. As opposed to, you know, you're the doctor. If you got to work 10 extra hours, that's too bad, you know. But your mindset's entirely different as opposed to this. Where, hey, I'm only supposed to work... Job. It's just sticking the needle in the person. Right. So, I mean, it's a different sort of situation they're outlining. Two different situations, actually. Well, we've gotten to the point where we're... They just do parts. In a sense, it's a difference between covenantal medicine and contractual medicine. In covenantal medicine, you're, you know, you say, "I'm your doctor." Right. You know, if your problem comes up at the end, I'll, I'll get the anesthesiologist to do what's necessary. Yeah. Whereas in contractual, look, that's not my problem. The anesthetist yeah. is supposed to do his job. I'm supposed to do my job. You know, it's your problem. I, it's not my problem. So that's a greater question. Yes. To, meaning you. We're going to try to focus, at least initially, maybe we'll get to that's a much bigger question, is the, just the liability of not sleeping enough. The neg is that considered negligence or not? I would say in a contractual situation, definitely. It's, uh, so you're saying it depends? Yeah, it definitely depends. What do you say? I'd say that the, uh, the hospital is responsible because yeah, the I would say in hospital this employee forced them to work. Um, you're th so you're saying the negligence is not on the part of the physician? Well, it, it's, it's, on, the part it's of the on the part of the physician, but it's attributable to the hospital. You see, he signed the the hospital pays. The doctor signed that he would work forever hours. Right, but he presumably but, had hours. So. But, but that's an impossible country. You can't work. You know, no, you can't. got to have some sleep every it's day. It's like the difference between being at war. You can't, you know, in the middle of war, where I'm sorry, I'm only supposed to be at war for these hours. I'm sorry, I need some rest. I will not function well as a soldier. Right. So, well, we go even yeah. more basic. And I can't Real take basic, a life. basic, basic, basic. Mother's on duty 24 hours a day. Exactly, and I can't, I'm Period. sorry. I'm End sorry, I can't function anymore. There were <laughs> many the, times. Tell I, the kid, tell yeah. the kid, I'm sorry, my shift's over. It was, I have gone to the There was a I've case that I read all about. To get some 15, medicine for ago. myself. A and woman I'm was going for. through a psychiatrist. <laughs> 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 it was in this case. A woman was going through a psychiatrist for treatment of her mental illness, and the treatment was in the middle, and it was a crucial point. The doctor had a heart attack and died. Mm -hmm. She sued his estate because now she had to start all over again mm -hmm. with another psychiatrist. Sued his estate for dying. For dying. <laughs> The ultimate abandonment. He's negligent. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's negligent. Yeah. I say in this context, uh, being tired is a liability. So let's see. So the rabbi says, furthermore, it is wrong to make medical students take responsibility for matters of life and death. So this is really what you were saying, when fully yeah. trained and experienced doctors can be found. So that's the halacha we learned many times, the halacha of the Baki and the Shulchan Aruch states a person should not practice medicine unless he's fully qualified and no one more capable than himself is available. 
Otherwise, these mistakes are tantamount to murder. So the fact that, like you, like Shelley mentioned before, the fact, just the mere fact that a student is performing these duties when there's a doctor there, or and and the doctor is relying on the student to make those decisions um, and trust the student. So that in itself is a problem, um, which is it's called the, the Shulchan Aruch calls that murder. Okay, especially if you use a teaching analogy, because that doctor is responsible for the students to teach him. Right. And he taught him exactly the wrong well, thing, yeah. which is listening to students, you got to be an idiot. <laughs> he taught him exactly the wrong thing. Yeah, they're supposed to supervise. He's got to go with him back to the bedside and say, no, this is you know the wrong, wrong patient, thing. wrong diagnosis, yeah. whatever. He's, he failed as a teacher as well as a doctor. Right. But, the, but this halacha and shachanach is pretty strict, as we discussed in the past. So, meaning, if you know as a physician there's a better physician out there that can do better for this patient, then you have to give... Give up that patient to the physician, which of course is never done. It's sort of in the Hippocratic. No, that's, that's done. It's sort of in the Hippocratic oath too that you can't, you won't cut for stone if you, know, you don't. Have, a physician shouldn't do that. You need a surgeon to do that. So right. this is. I, I think I do think doctors do call on other doctors with greater knowledge periodically. I mean, I used yeah. to. I don't Although what I've noticed from the last time is the students, doctors, the residents don't do anything. It's the least trained. They don't take respons They don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to take responsibility. They they can't. The simplest thing. It's the least trained person in the hospital mm -hmm. that does it, like the nurse or the respiratory right. therapist. They do the actual uh, physical maneuvers. The residents they can't do anything. They don't when have I, to do it when I, when I was a student. You know, you do it. We drew blood. We put down tubes. We put in tubes. We when when you when we were trained, the most important person was the nurse. Because the resident would say, go disimpack. I remember the first day I was on the ward. The resident, go disimpack so-and-so. I shake my head. I looked at the nurse and said, what does that mean? <laughs> she says, come here. <laughs> and she gets these, says, get a pair of gloves. This is the nurse. Yeah. Just get a pair of gloves. I bring a little glove. She says, no, 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 you don't. You know, they're not. And she goes, she goes, she goes, yeah. I said, what are those forces? Come on, we're going to show you. But you know, when you were a student, since you, you, it was expected you would learn how to do how stuff. To do, right. The residents didn't bother you. The nurses all taught you how to do stuff. Right. You know, you'd start doing it and the, you embarrass yourself in front of the nurses. It was part of the ritual. You, you'd have a sweet young thing or, and you'd, you'd be embarrassed in front of her. And finally you had to ask, say, look, I don't know what I'm doing here. Can you show me how to do it? And then she would show you how to do it. <laughs> That's the way it was. <laughs> now, nobody you expects you not to do anything. But tell you what dose to use or <laughs> medicine. So I don't understand. What am I supposed The nurse would say, well, a good nurse would say, well, Dr. So-and-so usually does this. Yeah. <laughs> I'll let you get away with that. But <laughs> so, he, so he says now, so what does the student do? The student came to the rabbi to know, does he need to do tshuva? What does he need to do? He killed this guy. Therefore, it would seem that the guilt and atonement of the various parties in this case are as follows. Number one, he says, the medical student followed, followed the orders he was given and did the best that he could. Therefore, he is not guilty of murder and needs no atonement for it. Nonetheless, he says, since the, that there's a, the Talmud says fascinating thing, that even mistakes, um, it says bad mistakes happen to bad people. Good mistakes happen to good people. Meaning, if, if something, if, if a bad thing happened through you, even though you technically we're not liable at all but the fact that this action happened to you is is shows that you you need to do a little tshuva anyway even though you're not liable general technically. principles right. right so it's really it comes from the really also the famous thing which is the 
the Egla Rufa, which was the calf that they broke the neck. The Torah says that if if a body is found in between two cities, we don't know who murdered it, so the rab, the leaders of the city are responsible. They have to go out there and, and do this ritual. They don't know exactly ritual. why it happened near their and city. Yeah, the, the fact that it happened under their watch so shows their leadership is something, is something wrong. So even though they did nothing wrong, so they clearly were not accusing them of murdering the person. Really, right? But the leaders have to atone because the fact that this can happen under your watch shows that uh, the Israeli no, Supreme there's Court, nothing coincident in, in Judaism. The Israeli Supreme Court used that um, reasoning to uh, Sharon. chastise Sharon, saying, "Well, yeah, you didn't do Shatilla, it." Sabra Shatila. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so no, the meaning there's always going to be some level of if inaction is caused by you, even if you're not liable as far as the legal sense of the word, the halachic sense of the word. But the fact that it happened on your watch shows that, so that's what he's saying here. He's saying, Hashem brings good things about through good people and bad things through bad people. The student must examine his deeds and do shiva for whatever the sin, sin might have caused this tragedy to be brought about through his hands. So his hands killed someone. Listen, is he a murderer? And of course not. He was f- doing what, uh, what he was supposed to do as a student, listening to his, to his teacher. This yeah. is a very striking difference, again, between covenantal and contractual medicine. Yeah. Contractual medicine. Legally, I'm not responsible. Yeah. Psychologically, you wash your hands of it. Covenantal medicine, you have to examine. You are the, that's right. Yeah. You're the, the buck stops here. Yeah, exactly. Right. He brings on the bottom, which we discussed years ago. I remember reading this. Uh, the Hassam Sofer has a, a tshuva. He has a, um, a response. That's the guy from Braslavia? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's your guy. Right, yeah. Yeah. So he has a response about a maid. Someone collapsed. The girl collapsed. And the maid went to get... Uh, you know, some brandy, some to revive her. Those <laughs> days, that's the way. Some good scotch, and uh, by mistake, she took, you know, the gasoline. She gave her gasoline instead. She, she yeah, took yeah. the wrong bottle off the out of the cabinet, and she killed the girl. Mm-hmm. So she well, lied. Was gasoline in the same cabinet with the brandy? Yeah, they both taste the same. They smell the same. May taste, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the chasam rude there that. It, it was, it was bad gasoline. The employer had good intentions and understandably erred from his panic rush to help. Uh, to help, therefore, she was exempt from punishment. So technically, she did nothing. She she was total, you know, was in the yeah. spur of the moment. But he said she must still do tshuva based on the principle, of this same principle, that if something happened, if something bad happened through your hands, so then, uh, then you need to do something about it. So that's number one. So as far as the medical student, he's saying really he's off the hook. It's a good thing to do tshuva. Um, because of this principle. Number two, the doctor who had irresponsibly given the wrong orders and thus caused the patient's death must fast three times on Monday, Thursday, and, f- and Monday. Okay, it's easy. He's letting him off easy. Um, if he so wishes, he should also pay the children of his victim, uh, compensate mon- monetary compensation. He should also give as much as he can afford to support Torah scholars to atone for the soul he took in fulfillment of the verse. The soul of the man is the candle. You don't have the rest there. It's too lazy to Written put the right page. To the soul of candles, sorry. Soul of man is the candle of Hashem. And a mitzvah is a candle and Torah is light. So therefore, uh, he should give money to charity. And number three, it says, those guilty of placing an exhausted doctor in a position of such responsibility take the greatest portion of blame. Right. They can atone for their sin by correcting the situation and ensuring that the doctors on duty are well rested so that such a tragedy will never happen again. So uh, he's obviously not dealing with the monetary aspects of the case. Um, obviously, if there's, neg- you know, if there's negligence, there's going to be uh, 
you know, malpractice. I don't know how that works. So that's, but he's not addressing that part. But at least as far as the tshuva, he's just addressing as far as who has to do tshuva here. Mm-hmm. So he's saying the main responsibility is on the employer, it's on the hospital. Yeah. As you said, um, the, the student should do a little tshuva. Um, and the doctor... Um, Intermediate responsibility. Right. He needs to do... And he, if he can, he should pay the children the victim. So, so that's really what we dealt with. We started talking about last week also that there's something, even if you're not responsible um, legally, it's a fascinating concept in halacha, meaning in a court of law we can't obligate you, let's say, to make, to comp- to make compensation. But there's something called chayav b'day shamayim, that you're, you're obligated by the hands of heaven. That means, listen, down here we can't force you to pay. Um, because legally, whatever the case was, you're, you're not, we don't consider you negligent. But you, in, when you get up to the white pearly gates, they're going to have some issues with you. So it's better to take care of it here, down here, than to wait up, wait till you get up there. Because it's easier to pay down here than up there. So, so that's called chayev b'day shamayim. You're chayev, you're liable at the hands of heaven. We can't do, as a court of law in, the, in this world, we can't do anything to you. You're, you're exempt. But in the hands of heaven, you're, you're chayev. Um, so which is what he's really saying here. This doctor, so technically he's not liable because he was, again, he was, he's even, f- it sounds like even for his negligence of, meaning technically you could say you could argue he's negligent, but he's, his claim is, listen, I'm, I'm doing the 36 hours of my shift, that's yeah. what I got to do. So that's good, I'm tired as comes along with not sleeping for 36 hours. Um, but he's saying, but so 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 you is what I understand him to me, meaning even though you are technically not liable, not a, we can't force you here in the court of law, but we can. Does this relate to the issue we discussed before regarding malpractice? By definition, you're always malpracticing because your doctors, uh, in terms of heaven, your doctor's job is to heal, heal them, you shall heal. So if somebody dies, you'll be judged in heaven as to yeah, whether yeah, or yeah. not whether or not you really you did a good job. Yeah, exactly. Is this sort of the same thing? I mean, technically, he's not liable because yeah. Well, this this is more talking. I mean, that's that's specific to physicians. That that law well, that we're, we're talking about. Yeah, but here I'm saying this concept of chayim mm-hmm. is across the board in any okay. monetary matters in any in any tort case. Many times you had it, like I mentioned. I think it, was it here that I mentioned the case last week. Where I had in Israel, I rented, I reserved like a bed and breakfast. I ended up canceling the Friday. It was it was mid. It was I remember the season. Um, we, anyway, I met, rented a bed and breakfast, and I reserved a bed and breakfast in spot, like one of these mom and pop. And my mother got sick. I had to cancel, um, like Thursday night. So the guy probably couldn't get anyone. Maybe he could. It wasn't clear. I mean, but he he wanted full payment. He said, "Listen, you messed me up." So I went and asked the halachic question: Am I obligated to pay the guy? There was no contract. There was nothing. It was right. You know, you, you sent him an email, you know, for... Moral contract. Right, so That's the rabbi contract. said, listen, technically you're exempt, um, but you're chay b'dina shamayim. He suggested very strongly I should pay him at least 50%. Yeah. Even though I'm not obligated to halach it. So I don't remember what I did, actually. I don't remember. I paid him enough, but that's what the rabbi said. It's Pascal's law, like, believing in God. You know, it's like, uh, well, in all likelihood there's no God. However, if you're wrong, you're really screwed for eternity. So you might as well believe That's it. That's why I have a friend. You met him. I have a friend like that. He calls himself orthoprax. Right. Doesn't believe in God, but he practices ortho, complete talach. He says, listen, I, I'm smart enough to realize on the 1% chance I'm wrong, 
Ailey, you know, I don't want to. I'm not taking any chances. I'm a, you know, there's also a rule that the employer is responsible for the facility. I remember when I was, I guess, the third, fourth year medical school, I don't remember. The emergency room admitted somebody to a medicine ward. And I was on, I was the, the student on the ward, so I worked him up first, and then it was, you know, towards the morning, so the intern's resident didn't come see him for a while. The guy was perfectly healthy. I didn't know why they admitted him, you know. This ward was a huge room, and it had one tiny little 50-watt bulb in the middle of the room. I mean, you could barely see. The next morning when the sun shone in, this guy was so jaundiced. I mean, he stood out like the green giant. You know, I couldn't see that, and I took the aspirin. So how far do you carry this principle? In other words, if, the, if the employer does not provide enough time for sleep, and now this happens, so you say, oh, well, it's the employer's fault for not providing adequate time off to allow this guy to rest and sleep. Both well, demanding, yeah. But how far do you carry that principle when the uh, services provided by the employer are less than optimal? How far from optimal does it have to be before you're liable? That's a good question. I think that's also why we, probably why there's no monetary damages, because we can't assess that really. It's such a hard, where do you draw the line? Some people need eight exactly. hours sleep, some people need six exactly. hours sleep, some people need 12. So what's uh, you know? How could, how could uh, there, that's why I'm asking. There's no objective line. You know, that's I think it's a case problem. by case. But it's interesting. In some industries, they have like in the trucking industry, they have you can only uh, you know pilot industry you can only drive right, X airplane hours. right. You can only drive X amount of hours, and then you have to stop. Legally, if you continue to drive, then you then yeah. lose your job. You're liable. But that's regulated by the government, right. federal government, I guess. So it's interesting. They they don't regulate physicians. Right, there's no law. Well, that but that, that was a large as getting at first. Right, which is almost by definition, well, it's not war. It does share some aspects of war, which is it's continuous action. You have a sick patient in the hospital. The situation is changing. There's no vacation. There's no right. Uh, changes rapidly or more rapidly. But by definition, they're sick. They need to be observed. They need to uh, judgments have to be made and treatments have to be applied. So that, ideally, you would have a doctor awake all the time to be with you. But that, that can't, that would be the optimal situation. Doctor who didn't sleep. Now, how far removed from that ideal do you have to get before you're liable? At what point is your fatigue impairing your ability well, to deliver the, you know, care? It's like the nurses change shift and they give report. The doctor has to report to his assistant, you know, and tell him, bring him up to date on what's going on with the patient. Then he can go home, go to sleep, and the other guys. You know, responsible theoretically. Yeah. But I mean, you, you get the drift. This yeah. is, in that case, a doctor is sort of a special case. It's sort of like firemen. You know, like right. uh, they sleep, they sleep, they sleep, and all of a sudden, all hell breaks right. loose. Um, or, in a certain sense, policemen, too. Now, when you had somebody in thyroid crisis, did you stay with them? Constantly, or did you ever switch off? Well, when I was in training, I mean, we really disliked having people cover for us. We had, we had a, it was built in the system. We had what was called a night shift program, which meant somebody took over for you at 10 o'clock at night, and you were free from new responsibilities till six in the morning. But what that meant was you didn't get to sleep. You had, a, you had so much work during the day, 
But you had to use that time between 10 and 9 and 6 in the morning to up. catch up from everything you had to do during the day. <coughs> so, no, you, you really, I really resented when I had to turn my patient over to somebody else. I'm going to have to do it, obviously. Really? The question is, with the, do you think the patient was getting less care? Well, let me put it this way. In my intern year, for example, we were a specific rotation. We always followed the same doctor. I always followed somebody, and the same doctor always followed me. The guy that I followed was named Arnie Burns. He had the same kind of attitude, covenantal attitude. The guy that followed me was named Joel Greenberger. He wanted to be, and he knew it, a radiation oncologist. He did not care for clinical medicine. So Burns would struggle to keep the patients alive. I would struggle to keep the patient alive. And then Greenberger would come along, and they would die. So he quickly, quickly got the name Green Boxer. <laughs> He'd box them. So what was it? What? Uh, what? What was the problem? The problem, he didn't go the extra mile. You know, the, it's, it's like you're saying, there are so many things that need to be done. You, if you feel it's going to get done, and if nobody else will do it, you're going to do it, then it gets done. Right. But you could legitimately say it's not my problem. You know, somebody else's problem. You just don't do it. It doesn't get done. You know, for want of a nail, a kingdom was lost. That's the way it goes. So, um, I, you know, I, I don't know how to tell you, but this is a, this is a problem in modern medicine. The thing that strikes me is they have the new accountable care organization, and I find the name, as with many government programs, hilarious because essentially nobody is accountable. He quotes, organization is accountable. What does that mean? <laughs> the organization is accountable. In the middle of the night, you're going to call the organization to take care of them? So, so let's go back to this. Uh, I don't have much time. In this context, the, the hospital yeah, is liable, but so is the doctor. So let's see. So he, this is going back to the driving situation. Why doesn't he address the issue say, if the doctor, why doesn't this doctor just leave this situation? If he's being put in an untenable oh, situation. Yeah, I'm guessing, we don't know the information, but I'm guessing that every every medical school They're is all the same. same yeah. That's the problem. Which is what we're moving right. toward here. But I mean, right. uh, so, so there's nothing you do. I mean, either you quit medicine. And most doctoring, it's boxes. We no longer have. Well, you're right. So yeah, I can, I, I'm old enough to know it's, right. it's a whole nother ball game. So carry that issue further. What happens when you're in a situation where this is the norm? Well, that's what it's right now. That's a problem. But how do you hold the hospital even liable when this is the norm? Yeah. This is a norm. That's a good question. I mean, yeah, it doesn't take away your liability just because everyone's doing something but I mean, crazy. But, but everyone's being negligent doesn't give you the right to be. No, negligent. but is the proper response to one you said, which is the doctor say, "Look, I can't practice medicine in these circumstances. I quit." But that's not right either, because then who's going to take care of the patient? Yeah. So I mean, how do you, you know, you understand this kind of thinking that leads logically to, to um, doctors are leaving. Yeah, I mean, you see the problem. I think you left. Yeah. Well, I didn't leave them. I, mean, I, I think the problem is the same thing. Suppose you're in a little town in the middle of nowhere, and there's one uh, family physician. You know, a lot of things are happening. You can go on for days, and there's nobody else. Right. You can't sleep. Yeah. So. Yeah, but that's that's, that's different because it's different. Uh, no care, like you're saying. <laughs> 
zero care or or maybe and, and you're also care, saying you can't define in between where right. that line is where right you've got right, but sometimes you know you cross the line but like if there's no other option it's like you're saying it's war that's a that's yeah. a war situation you got, you got no choice question is here we do have a choice we could change the system yeah. or a hospital can be a maverick but i don't know how that that's would right. work i mean could they can one medical school make different rules than another? The hospitals well, like they have staff for cheap uh -huh. labor. Per hour, we earn less than the lowest janitor. But we were we were being trained. Yeah. And, you know, and that's another thing. Well, there was a doctor on call. If he's a resident, technically a resident is still in training. Right. Technically. I know. I had cases like that where Sunday morning, uh, you know, in the ICU, there was only one resident neurologist with my daughter like he never he had never seen a baby before in his life he never held a baby <laughs> he was like what are he I was doing like, this? yeah he was like he didn't know at all he never he had never held a baby clearly in his life and he's like post examiner <laughs> he was like no one else around this sunday morning like july 4th week i don't remember he didn't do obstetrics in medical school no he's a, he was a, uh, he's a resident neurology Still, went to medical school. Yeah. Pediatrics. So he, uh, he was like, <laughs> what do I do with this thing? Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's scary. And he made the diagnosis on my nose. Bad to go in the hospital in the, what, July. That's when the new guys are starting. This so is an interesting response, but it's, it's very, it's very yeah, narrow in yeah, scope. Yeah. Yeah. Which I guess um, is what a response should be. Right, now also it's interesting, this is a translation, I, you know, this is just a nice book, it's not yeah. the original, I would like to see the original, yeah. originally written, but anyway, going, getting back to here, so this, this response from Avadio Tres was about someone who fell, who gave someone, offered someone, he was doing someone a favor, gave him a ride from Jerusalem to Haifa, fell asleep at the wheel, they had an accident, is he liable or not? So as it turns out, he says, the information was this guy hadn't slept. Um, the night before, the driver. So he talks about the liability, um, and again he quotes this same Shochan Aruch that uh, that Rabbi Zilberstein quoted, which is as, as a teacher says a school teacher can't mm -hmm. sleep if didn't sleep the night before, so then they should be fired. So so he says. So we did the first paragraph. So I'm going to start from the second one. Let's see where I can find it. Um, Here he says, trying to think how this place done. Um, the case here was, so, you, so look at where it says base. Base, see base? Where? Oh, uh, this side, this yeah, side. This side, okay. Okay, okay. you see it there? Oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so it says, Reesey Bar Zeroy. So, um, he said they found in the in the Orzuro. The Orzuro was it was actually a, re, a Rishon. Um, so it was an early authority. He lived in the 1100s. He says we found the case. Shekasim. Um, He's discussing a case where, uh, and it's actually in uh, the the case here is a watchman who fell asleep on the job. Okay, and and something was stolen. Um, now the watchman, so, I, so I'm not going to go through the whole aspect of damages, but usually there's something called a shomer. There's four types of watchmen in the Torah. 
Torah discusses four types of watch. The lowest level means the least liability. So it's called a shomachinim. That means I'm doing you a favor. You know, I, you said, can you watch me? And I'm going to the bathroom. Can you watch this for a second? So that guy has the lowest level of liability in the sense of he's not being paid. He's not. He's just doing the guy a favor. If you're being paid to be a watchman, obviously, then your liability goes up. So, for example, technically speaking, a lowest li- this a shomer chinam that means a free watchman is not liable um, when something is stolen from him. If a robber yeah. comes and grabs it, it's not you know. It's you get what you pay for. Right. Um, mm. But the question here is, the guy fell asleep. So is is he now is he now liable or not? So that's what the case of the Orzim is discussing. So he says, since he was negligent by falling asleep, he says sleep is for sure considered negligence. Meaning the only thing a watchman, a shomerchinim watchman, a free a guy is doing you a favor, is liable for is negligence. Okay, that's right. There's there's negligence. There's robber, armed robber comes and steals it. Right, that's not negligence. Right, so so Shomer Sacher, someone who's getting paid for the job, would be obligated even on Geneva and Aveda, even let's say it's lost. Now we then there's a higher level of watchman. The highest level is called a show, a borrower. If I borrow your lawnmower, some any little thing that happens, I'm negligent. I'm not negligent. I'm considered liable. Okay, so we're talking about the lowest level watchman here, but he says still sleeping, falling asleep on the job is negligence. He's defining that as negligence. Again, this is an early authority. So he's bringing that as proof. He says, Since he was negligent and fell asleep, he says, there's no question, says the Arzuruh, sleeping, falling asleep on the job is negligence. And he brings the proof from the Gemara um, to this. So now if you skip them, you skip the, he quotes a bunch of Gemaras here. So he says, So we're like six lines at the bottom. Mm-hmm. It means to our case. We can learn from the, this case of the Arzura to our situation of the guy falling asleep at the wheel. Since he didn't sleep as much as he should have at night. Prior to the trip, when he fell asleep at the wheel, is 100% negligence. And he has to pay him his doctor bills and his uh, workers' comp which is the two things that are relevant today, we discussed last week. But he says, you could have argued the Shani Shomer Sachar Shomer Sachar, someone who's paid to do the job, is obligated in all aspects of stealing. With this driver, did not accept payment at all. He was doing him a favor, he's giving him a ride. Maybe you would consider the guy an honest. So he goes on to say, Someone he brings from a different response, that if someone rented his friend, paid his friend to watch his stuff, to be a watchman in a store. Thank you.